This morning we're going to take a look at a, a topic under our theme of straight talk, if you got to write the next chapter. I was up early this morning, quarter to six, I've driven home from the cathedral ranges and that early morning time is always beautiful, there's something fresh about early in the morning and as I was driving home all the balloons were up over the, the Yarra Valley and uh, some of them were landing and it, it, it reminded me of uh, new beginnings and fresh starts and as we unpack the topic today we're going to be asking what if I got to write the next chapter. This COVID space has done um, lots of things to our lives, we've been juggled, we've been wobbled, we've been um, really in a situation that perhaps there's things that we've enjoyed in this shutdown place, there's things that we've missed um, and a good chance to perhaps re, um, reassess our lives, where we're going and what's important. And this morning we want to encourage you to think about it with God. Uh, what are the next plans for you? What are the next chapters? Uh, and Troy's going to unpack that with us this morning. But we've asked a few people about God's plan. What does God's plan look like in their lives? So let's take a look. When I hear the phrase, God has got a plan for my life, I feel both assured and blessed. Assured that he's got the big picture in mind and blessed to think my life with my skills and talents can somehow fit into his bigger picture uh, to work all things for good. What challenges me most about the phrase, God has a plan for my life? Well, that's easy. It's when our timetables don't coincide. I like to be planned. And so when things don't work out in the time and way I'd like, it's easy to ask the question, is God working for my good in this situation? When I hear the phrase, God has a plan for my life, it usually makes me think. I really, really hope so. Because it's often unclear which way I'm supposed to go. And I don't know what I'm supposed to do. But knowing that God has a plan is really comforting. The thing that challenges me the most about this idea is that it requires so much trust and faith in God's plan. And sometimes God's plan is really hard to figure out and decipher, and it seems uncertain. And then sometimes when it's clear, it's not the thing that we want to do. Sometimes God's plan is not the thing that seems easiest, and that can be really scary too. When I hear the phrase, God has a plan for my life, I think of I think the main thing that comes to mind would be where I'm at currently versus where I thought I would be at this stage. If you'd asked me five or so years ago, the things I've encountered, the experience I've had between now and then have definitely been very different to my expectations. And where God weighs into it would be the fact that a lot of that has been down to stuff outside of my influence and control, such as certain opportunities being presented or certain doors being opened or closed along the way. What challenges me most about God having a plan for my life. I think there's probably two things that about that that challenges me. Um, the first being that everything could potentially be predetermined, which means that my choices and actions could be meaningless, seeing as they're going to happen anyways. Um, if that's not the case, then I sometimes question whether my choices and the path I've decided to go down is in line with God's plan or it's on a tangent of my own. When I hear the phrase, God has a plan for my life, I think, yes, he does. I've clearly seen the way he has worked in my life to enact his plan. I've probably seen it more in hindsight and looking back. 
I've had certain experiences which have led me to be equipped for something new or for meeting someone else. When I have a new opportunity or, or something is happening in any of my family's lives, I will ask God to shut doors so it's really obvious what to do next. What challenges me most about the idea of God having a plan? I've probably got two things. The first is, what if I mess it up? The second is timing. Uh, God's timing is quite often different to mine. And I'm thinking, why do I have to go through this now? Why can't I move forward from this now? But looking back, probably God's timing's been better than mine. Thank you for those people who shared. Really set the scene for our communication this morning, talking about if I got to write the next chapter of my life. And just if I pause there for a moment, could I also encourage you to tune in next Sunday evening um, to that gathered space online? Because it's also uh, not only the time in which we want to acknowledge um, Matt and Peter for the play, the, the, the role they've played at council over a number of years now, but also to affirm Steve Prescott coming back on and Viv Stapledon and Jordan Smith as well and so we'd love you to join with us um, Sunday evening next Sunday evening for that time as well well if I got to write the next chapter of my life and it was a God-shaped chapter what would that look like there's three reasons why I want to talk about this topic this morning. The first one comes from The uh, Economist and The Fin Review. In, in fact, if you look online, you'll find that there's some articles that have been written very recently um, titled The Great Resignation. It seems as that as a result of COVID all around the world, there's been in many places this idea of, of re-evaluating my job, my life, and as a result of it, people actually resigning from their work. In the US, they've noticed 3% of the job force have actually packed up their lives and said, as a result of COVID and a re-evaluation, I'm checking out. In the UK, in the third quarter, uh, they've indicated that the job-to-job -job transition and flow is greatest of all time as a result of the re-evaluation and the prioritising that people have had as a result of their COVID space. One writer put it like this. He said, once people got a taste of life at home, they realised that there was more to life. In fact, the Merkindle research that I mentioned last week has indicated that four out of five Australians, as a result of the last two years' experience in their lives, have been doing some re-evaluation, not only of the meaning and the purpose of their lives, but also reassessing the relationships that they have around about them. So that's the first reason. The second reason why I want to talk about writing the next chapter of your life and for it to be a God-shaped chapter is because of a conversation I had with some young adults about a month ago. So I gathered with some young adults, we got to talking about God's will or God's plan for your life. And I was um, surprised by and encouraged by all of a sudden the level of enthusiasm Young people throwing in questions and comments about what does God's plan look like for their lives. What emerged as they were talking and the sort of the electricity started to sort of be generated in the room was not so much a fear of missing out, but the one concern that they raised that struck me was the question, or rather the fear of getting it wrong. What they had fixed very much in their minds was this idea that there was one plan, one direction, one will for my life, and they simply didn't want to get it wrong. 
Well, this whole talk about God's plan for my life, if you've been part of church life growing up, or perhaps even more recently, you might have come across this particular passage from the book of Jeremiah. And this is where we get a lot of our conversation around God's plan or God's will. And it goes, it goes like this. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. They're powerful words, but those words were actually directed by Jeremiah to the people who had been placed away in exile. They were actually in a far off land. God's people had been judged or punished for always turning away and chasing after all the other gods and the goddesses. And if you like, that they're calling in their lives to be God's light, to dispense his mercy and justice throughout the world, had actually um, been turned inward and they were perpetuating darkness and violence. And so as a result of that, God, after a number of warnings, uh, had Babylon come, which is in modern day Iraq, and judge uh, the God's people at that time in Jerusalem. And, and they had exported a number of people now in exile. And in the midst of that place, as they were calling out to God and wondering what had happened, had he abandoned them, had he left them? Jeremiah signals these words, for I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. In the context of their suffering, in the context of their isolation, God hadn't forgotten them. I wonder if you're listening this morning. I wonder if you might be listening this afternoon or sometime during the week and you wonder... If God has forgotten you, or perhaps you're in a place that you don't want to be in, and these words are reassuring to you that God still has plans and purposes for our life. And the third reason that I want to talk about this topic, particularly today, is that I'm conscious that we have a propensity to perhaps just allow things to slide by in the midst of this COVID experience. We've had to be so easy for us to want to hurry up and snap back to the same same. In fact, pastoral team have been considering this and saying, what would it look like for us next year to ask some really pertinent questions about where would God have us or who do we need to become in order to respond to the new context and frame that we find ourselves in? One person put it like this, if new community were to plant themselves afresh in this new season, what would we do differently? What might we do the same? We want to approach that question. And it's timely that we don't just simply allow ourselves to snap back. So for the same reason, if I could encourage you wherever you are, would you grab a piece of paper and a pen, and I want you to write down this at the very top of the page, blank page. If I got to write the next chapter, and it was a God-shaped chapter, what would that look like? In the time we have available right now, if you sense God's nudging, God's prompting, strong impression, sense of conviction, a sense of leading in any way, I want you to write down not only the things that we cover, but also the things that you sense maybe God's speaking to you about today. If I got to write the next chapter, and it was a God-shaped chapter, what would that look like? 
a God-shaped chapter. Well, when we're talking about these things, I think there's three things that I want to say, because if you're listening to Phil Walker this morning, you'll know that anything that uh, we cover to do with God's will has to have three points, right? For any good talk about God's will, they need three points. So there's a general will I want to talk about, God's specific will, and how do we discern and make a decision about those things? So let's kick things off. God's general will. I think God's general will answers the question, how should I live? It's not location specific. It's broad. It can be practiced in any setting. And it answers the basic question, how should I live? During COVID space, some of you may have heard me talk about my experience I had when I was getting coffee. So it was a year ago now. I was at my local cafe and I was waiting for the coffee outside when I heard an altercation between a man and another younger man. Well, my ears pricked up. And as I was waiting in line, and there was a number of people outside the cafe waiting for their coffees, the, the banter and the conversation became a bit more pronounced. And as I paused and directed my eyes to the attention of, of what was actually happening, I, I noticed that there was a younger man who was uh, speaking to an older man who seemed to have had too much to drink, and he was saying things to him like, no, mate, you can't talk like that. No, no, you can't speak like that to her. And as I began to sort of filter closer to the situation, uh, very quickly it became apparent that um, it was a, a domestic situation in which the husband uh, was there to pick up his children from his wife because they were no longer living together. But because the husband had had too much to drink, the wife was unwilling, rightly so, to uh, release her children into his care. And it began to turn and get a little bit awkward, a little bit loud, and a little bit frightening. And you could see it was written on the kids' faces and on the wife's face. So I also joined in with the younger man and started to engage the, the man, the, the father. And during that space, I turned to the wife and the children and I said, I, I, I think it might be time... Um, to leave. Now's probably a good time um, to actually walk away. And as they did so, and he kind of wanted to follow them, we engaged with him and talked with him and, and prevented him from doing that. And in that situation, when things were unfolding, I began to offer and I said, mate, I don't think this is a good place for you to be. How about we, we get you home? Where are you living right now? And he told me where he's living. And I said, well, how about I give you a, a lift? My car's just around the corner. Let's, let's jump in the car and I'll drive you home. He didn't want to go home. And I walked a little bit around the corner over the bridge with him as he was starting to perhaps follow after. And uh, I, I bumped into one of our other local residents, someone connected to New Community, whose husband happened to be uh, in the police force. And I said, could you just call your husband right now and ask what we should do in this situation? So he did. And I got the information straight back. So I went ahead and called the police. And uh, they eventually got involved. And then I found out afterwards that uh, the, the wife and the children who had found themselves down at Dandenong Creek, there was another couple that we knew that uh, discovered them and uh, just were interacting with them and encouraging them, providing for them a safe space. Now, if you had have asked me, why did I bother to get involved in that situation? I would have said, well, that's a no-brainer to me. That's an easy thing. Um, Bronwyn and I had been involved in our time over in Portland, Oregon, in a domestic violence shelter. And as a result of that... Um, we had a sensitivity and some skills uh, about interacting at that level and in that space. And so for me, it was a no-brainer to all of a sudden 
find myself in a situation where I could be interacting with and finding out more and discovering about how we might step into this particular place. You see, when I think about God's will and his general will for our lives, I think it has to do with his moral will, his ethics. Some people might say it's the conscience that you might have. How do you orient yourself in your situation and your circumstances? But as a Jesus follower, it's actually that plus a little bit more. It not only has to do with who God is and how I think his character should be played out in our lives, but I think it's also got to do with how I see and how we see our place in the world. If you like, let's just have a look at some passages from the Bible. So the first one is from the book of Genesis. In that Garden of Eden to the first early hominids and Adam and Eve, God said these to them, Be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. This idea from the very sort of seminal places in the Bible, this very book of beginnings, uh, casts human beings as being in partnership with God and not oppressing the earth, but wanting to actually bring God's order to the disorder, to continue on his ordering of the world. And so in this broad sense, God's broad will, his general will, is that human beings might partner with him in ordering the space around about them. If you like, Peter, let's jump way ahead into the New Testament. Uh, Peter talks about this. He says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. There's this sense where Peter actually describes this, whatever you're doing, I want you to point to who God is and his character in your life, whether it be a word or deed, action, and all of those different ways. James, the half-brother of Jesus, he puts it like this. He says, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Paul, in another place, he says these words. He says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Paul had this understanding and this perception of that in your life, the way in which you occupied your space in your spheres, wherever you are, I want you to consider all of your actions that you're doing is somehow reflecting and shining who God is in your life into your space. In fact, Jesus said these words that are recorded by Matthew. Jesus said, above all things, what I want you to do is seek first God's kingdom, his life, his power, his rule, his character, and his rightness. And all of these other things will be given to you as well. If you like, if you press Jesus and you said, what's God's general will for human beings? He would say, what I want you to do is understand who God is and seek to live that out wherever you are. Whether you're at school, whether you're at play, whether you're in lockdown or out of lockdown, whether in your workspace or you're on a holiday, wherever you are, seek to bring God's life into your spheres. God's general will. I like these words of Paul where he finishes off the end of his letter he writes to the Corinthians. He says, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give thanks fully. Uh, always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. What he's saying there in that place is that every cup of water, 
Every moment of protection that you offer, every kind handshake or gesture, every sense of hospitality, every uh, thing that you bake and give to someone else, uh, uh, your words that you use in your workplace, all of these things that you do to reflect the light and the love of who God is in your life, he says, somehow, in God's bringing together of heaven and earth in the future, will not be lost. They will all be collected, whether large or small, and woven into his larger tapestry as God seeks to bring his order, and one day in its fullness, to earth, just as in heaven. You see, a Jesus follower is someone who prays that prayer when they get up in the morning. God's general will fulfills the prayer, may your kingdom come, God, may your will be done here on earth just as it is in heaven. If you like, God's general will is this idea of God's order being brought to the disorder of our world. God's general will and our place within that. So let's pause for a moment. Let me ask you, how are you doing when it comes to God's general will? Over the last two years, as the tide has gone out, as COVID has sent a shudder through our lives, in our communities, our nation, our globe, what has it revealed to you about God's general will for your life and how you're living it out? As you pause right now, I wonder what God might be nudging and saying to you. Are there some parts of his will, just that general will and how in which you've been living, that you would say, you know what? In the next season of my life, in the next chapter that I'm writing, what I want to do is actually tweak that one. I want to refine that one. I want to sharpen that one. That's what I hear him saying. Well, let's look now at at his specific will. God's specific will answers the question, Where should I live? His general will is not location specific. If you like, his specific will has more to do with asking question of where should I live? And this is a little bit more difficult. Why? Because his specific will, which not only just deals with the large things in our lives, but the daily things in our lives, has to do far more with discerning and reflection and pause and consideration. In other words, it doesn't just come fast. But his specific will. Some years ago when Bron and I were studying over in the United States, we took a class uh, that was titled Spiritual Gifts. When someone comes to know Jesus, he fills them with his spirit. And there are certain gifts and skills that individuals have that will be either amplified or fresh ones giving to them for the sake of building up other people who are part of the Jesus community and beyond. And so this particular class that we had on spiritual gifts was led by one of our professors called Gary Friesen. Now, 30 years ago, Gary Friesen wrote a book, Decision Making and the Will of God. And what that book was challenging was the idea that God had one path, one will, one direction. And if you missed it and got the whole thing wrong, well, there was nowhere else for you to go. He was proposing the idea more perhaps like a a supermarket. That you might be pushing your trolley down the supermarket aisle and if there was a number of different cereals that you got to choose from, that 
in all circumstances and before your life that you might be given some freedom by God to choose which cereal box you would choose because it might be the one that you like. Now, people, when they read this, were a little bit concerned because they wanted to question, how do I know if I'm not just making a decision for myself or how am I actually involving God in it? Well, he went on and, of course, he applied it to the larger areas of your life. And uh, he said, for instance, when it comes to marriage, he said, I think you could marry a number of people in the world. But it just might happen that if you're married right now, you chose that particular person and that particular person chose you. He said, when it comes to jobs, there might be a number of different jobs that you could take up in your life. It just so happens that you could have just chosen that one. And what's more, if you had the opportunity to live in different places, it might be that you could choose a number of different places. It just so happens that you might have chosen that one. Of course, we realize when we look back on those things, Not everyone has those privileges in life to be able to do that. But if you did, he raised the question, what would that perhaps look like for you? It wasn't that he was not wanting God to be part of the decision making. I guess he was just trying to challenge that there might be a number of different options. But what keeps the boundaries on those? How do you know that you're not just choosing the things you want? Well, for me, over my life, I've often returned to this particular psalm, Psalm 37, And the context for making those decisions is wrapped up in a close relationship that's cultivated by you with God. The psalmist writes these words. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. The thing I've always loved about that particular framing is that it it characterizes a person whose posture is open to God. One who says, I want to delight in you, God. I want to please you, Lord. And as a result of that, I've found over the years that sometimes, more often than not, the very desires that are God's desires have been shaping me and my thinking and my desires. So in a trusting seeking, open relationship, that sense of being open to what he will want to say to you and delighting in him, you can begin to have a great deal of confidence that the desires that are stirring in me are God's desires. And that that's one way to broadly tackle this idea of what might God's specific will come to play and be like. Jesus often practiced this in finding and discovering The daily routines, what he would say yes to or no to, we sense that that was birthed out of an intimate, connecting relationship with his father. In Mark chapter 1, it says these words, Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up. He left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. In fact, it goes on to say that his disciples began to chase and look for him and trying to find him wherever he was. And they chastised him. And it just seems to be that part of the pattern in Jesus' life was to get away to solitary places, to remove the static from his life, and begin each day pausing and praying. And you sense it in those moments that he would have been asking, Father, what do you want me to do today? Whose path would you have me come across? And within that sort of broad, specific directing, that nudging, that prompting, he would act. In fact, in my life, as I look back over the various ways in which I've sought God's specific will, I realize that there's four things that I kind of experience when it comes to trying to discern more specifically. The first one has to do with wisdom. 
Wisdom is that, that weighing up process where you, you go to other people or you actually consider what are the pros and cons. Some of you here love doing pros and cons sheets. If you're considering a new job to move into, you might just get a piece of paper and you might write pros and cons and you write down all the different things that are positive or negative about perhaps taking up that role. Some of you will seek the wisdom of others and you consult. That's just weighing up things. I remember when I was considering whether or not I should ask Bron to marry me and she was probably asking other people the same question but in reverse. I went to a friend of ours, an older man who I respected, and uh, I, I asked him some goofy question like, you know what, if, if I'm thinking about someone who may be thinking about asking someone to marry them. And I'm just wondering, what advice would you give to that person uh, about whether they knew if, if that person was the right one to marry? <laughs> well, I'm sure he saw through the, the question and really knew what he was asking, what I was asking. And um, his words to me were, were really... Uh, accurate and uh, um, they were so insightful in fact his answer was um, actually I can't remember what his answer was but it was a good answer but if I remember it I'll pass it on to you but that was part of the whole weighing up and the deciding thing is that no one person had the answer but you weighed things the second thing that I found in my life was that when it comes to discerning God's specific will I often think about the nudging of God's spirit Paul writes these words when he was about to go over and share the good news of Jesus into Asia. He said, the Holy Spirit prevented us from doing that. It's modern day Turkey. And you'd like to pause the moments there and say, Paul, how did you know that the Spirit told you that you shouldn't go and proclaim Jesus in that area? Well, it then goes on to describe in Acts chapter 16 that he has a dream. And in that dream, he sees a Macedonian man who's begging him and pleading for him to come over and to speak about Jesus to them. Well, he wakes up, he shares that. And he actually goes and then spends his time over in fruitful ministry over in Macedonia. In many ways, the nudging of the Spirit actually comes about various differing ways in different people's lives. For me, it's often been a, through a persistent nudge that doesn't go away. I remember when I was seeking the, to plant the church here with Bron at New Community and begin this whole initiative, we sought God together. And there was this growing sort of instinct within us that we wanted to connect and start a new church, and we weren't quite sure where, but that just continued on and persisted, not just for weeks or months, but over a few years, so it formed out of that. Other people will tell you of experiences where, where someone um, ha, has felt this, this audible voice of God or they've, they've had a, a strong vision or, or a, a passage from the Bible that's just jumped out to them and, and they've felt that in that it was God's spirit that was speaking to them. In my experience in life, not only the wisdom, not only the spirit, but it also has to do with something to do with God's body. You see, God's body is this wider church family that has a whole variety of different giftings and skills. There have been plenty of times when people may have said to someone, I felt God nudging something in me and I just want to share this passage with you. I don't know if it means anything to you or I had a dream about this or I was thinking about you the other day and so I'm giving you a call. I'm not sure if this means anything to you, but... The number of different times in, in our lives, and I know people's lives who are watching here, that God has spoken to them through someone else that hasn't been preconceived. It's been something that it seems to have come naturally as other people have spent time and rubbed shoulders with God together. Well, the fourth way in which I've experienced 
God's specific leading, his specific will in my life is to do with his timing. There's been timely things, seasons in which you might pick up things and put down, but also you're sensing God's timing. And that's one particular way in my own life in which I've begun to become more attuned with in more recent years. I experienced this um, about eight months ago. I went out for a jog one day as I've been trying to keep up my exercise during the COVID space. And I would typically, before I go for a... I don't run anymore, I jog. It's got something to do with my age. But um, as I was out jogging, I decided I wasn't going to plan which way I went. I was getting bored of the same routine. And so I just decided wherever I went, I'd just, in the moment, choose left or right. And so I did that, just around the area of Heathmont. I was choosing left or right, left or right, left or right. Until I found myself, probably about 10, 15 minutes into the run, running down a street that I hadn't been down for years. And as I was just running along, actually jogging along, I looked up and I noticed that there was a house that was part of this street. I said, I haven't been down this street. In fact, there's a person who used to live in this house that did an alpha course with us a number of years ago that ended up trusting their lives into Jesus' hands. And then shortly after... They died of cancer. I conducted the funeral. I remember connecting with the family in that house. And as I was jogging by, I thought that thought and then looked up and lo and behold, the wife of that man was standing at a letterbox. And so I stopped and I looked up and I said, hi, I know we haven't seen each other for a long time. It's Troy. She said, I know. She said, that's strange, because it's been so cold today, I haven't been outside. But just at this moment, I decided to come out and check my mail. And there I was, jogging past. She said, strange, but it's actually just this coming week. It's the anniversary of my husband's death. I can't help but in those moments go, I could not have conceived of that. A hundred different ways. But that's just one moment there where I had a chance to encourage and see in that God's timing. God's timing. God's timing in things. I wonder, in light of this question, if I got to choose and to write a God-shaped chapter of this next season of my life, what is it that God might be saying to you that you need to pick up or to put down or to step into and move in. A God-shaped chapter. You see, that begins when you set aside time and you decide to draw close to God and ask a daring question. Jesus, if you got to write the next chapter of this, of my life, what would it look like? I think one of the best things, the most courageous things you could do this coming Christmas time, rather than just snap back into the routine, is to pause and to nut out of time, get a diary, get a Bible, draw in one or two other people and say, would you pray with me? As I embark on asking this question, God, if you shape the next chapter of my life, what would it look like? You know, I know people who have sensed God's calling or God's ministry emerge from spending time 
and seeking him. There's one such man who we knew when we lived overseas. His name was Brian. Some of you have heard me talk about Brian before. Brian had this lovely way of, if you like, sharing and caring and providing for other people. In fact, he used to take a 24-gallon drum in the back of his car, his ute, and, and, and all of his uh, witch's hats. And he would routinely pull over on the side of the road when someone's car had broken down and he would help them. If you asked him, why do you do this? He would say, well, because it's part of God's general will for my life. But people who knew him know, knew that it was more than that. You see, he had this proclivity to want to help people intentionally. If you had have asked other people what his ministry was, they would undoubtedly say, that man has a ministry of being generous and caring, and that's just what he does. I know other people in this uh, older season of their life where they might be moving into retirement have said, you know, out of a result of, of sensing God's nudging and passions for other people, we actually want to set aside the, the next portion of our lives, not to being comfortable here in Australia, but to going over and living in Bangladesh and coming alongside people who are either involved in an organic church life over there or for one other of the persons saying, I want to use my skills as a physiotherapist therapist to help the extraordinary need that's over there if you ask them is that a sense of ministry calling in your life they would say undoubtedly it is how has that come about through seasons of seeking jesus and asking how would you write the next chapter of my life and seeing what emerges from their passions from other people around them the nudging of the spirit and god's timing which leads me, if you like, the specific will of God answers the questions or emerges from a day relationship to Jesus. Which leaves us with the, the third and the final part of how do I make decisions? If God's general will has to do with where do I live and his specific will answers the question, sorry, if his general answers the question, how should I live? And his specific will answers the question, where should I live? Well, how do I go about making decisions and making sure that I don't get it wrong? Well, the Bible has a bit of a history of this decision making. The first one has to do with Gideon's fleece. The story about a young man who was called to face up and to lead an army of people to challenge the, the great forces of the Midianites and the Malachites. And the young man, Gideon, there he was wondering if God had really spoken to him. So he said, God, just to check, could I place out a fleece, a, a sheep's wool? And in the morning time when I wake up, if there's dew on, on the, the wool and it's dry on the ground, I'll know that you've spoken to me. Well, he wakes up in the morning time. Sure enough, the, the, the woolen uh, fleece is soggy, but the ground is dry. So in that moment, he goes, well, maybe I could have got it wrong. And so he inquires again. He says, God, I don't want you to be angry with me, but could we reverse the order this time? Just want to make sure. So if I wake up tomorrow morning and the fleece is dry and, and the ground is wet, then I'll know that you're speaking to me. Lo and behold, he wakes up in the morning time and that's exactly what has happened. It's wet on the ground and it's dry on the fleece. And he takes that as God's leading that God's with him. Well, that's the fleece. There's another way in which in practice in the Bible has been undertaken before to seek God's will. And it's kind of like a casting of lots. When they were going to replace Judas, who had been left from the 12, Peter says, what we should do is ask God and cast some lots. 
which seems to us in these days kind of like flipping a coin. Now, I'm not suggesting that you should flip a coin, but in that ancient world, they believed that in the casting of lots and the seeking of God, that somehow God was in that. A third way in which the Bible talks about this uh, decision-making has got to do with doors. Paul talks about doors opening up and closing. Uh, opening up, he would pray, God would open up a door, and it seems to be that he knew that because there was receptivity. It seemed as though that there was fruitful ministry and that he would walk into that. But still begs the question, what if you get it wrong? What if you get it wrong? You know, that man Brian, in his ministry, in his calling, one day, the story tragically goes, he pulled over nighttime because someone's car had broken down. He set out the witch's hats and the lights, and he began to help them when a drunken lady drove along the road and knocked him over and killed him. Some people would ask the question, did Brian get it wrong? I know another couple who felt the prompting and nudging of God to work as missionaries in Papua New Guinea many years ago. He and his wife, young, newly married, decided to travel overseas and work in PNG. Not long after their arrival, though, she contracted a disease. And as a result of that, they had to return home. And for the rest of their lives, she suffered from the disease that she contracted while she was over there. They sought God. They felt his leading. They were faithful to that. And they went. And then they returned home. Did they get it wrong? I know other people who have sought God's open doors and closed doors to move into certain jobs. Really believing behind that, that there was a sense of God's leading only to when they actually arrived at that job, it wasn't what they were anticipating. It's totally different. Did they get it wrong? Well, in a human sense, some people might say they got it wrong. But I think in a God sense, they entirely didn't. So I think a far more pertinent question for a Jesus follower to ask is not so much, did I get it wrong? But Jesus, am I seeking to be faithful to you? Peter on a beach one day asked Jesus a question. What about John? What about him? And Jesus said to him, don't worry about John. You be faithful and follow me. Mother Teresa was once jided and asked by a journalist, you know, if you came over to America, you'd be so much more successful. To which she snapped back, God didn't call me to be successful. He called me to be faithful. Paul puts it like this. Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run? But only one gets the prize. Run in such a way as to get the prize. You see, everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. I think what Paul was trying to say is, depends on who you're seeking to please. If you got to write the next chapter, and it was a God-shaped chapter, what would that look like? I wonder if Jesus might be saying to you today, I'm more interested in you being faithful 
than getting it right or wrong. So would you hear my voice? Would you open your heart? And would you be courageous to ask the daring question, what, Jesus, would you like me to do in the next chapter of my life? And I'm excited for what I might see emerging in other people's lives and my own in the coming year ahead. As you hear this song now, as we pause for a moment, I would invite you to listen to the nudging of the Spirit and begin to write the things that you hear him speaking to you about today. A God-shaped chapter.